Thank you so much for tuning in this morning. I wish we could be together, but I guess this is a good plan B, and I'm thankful for the technology that we have so that we can gather online when we can't be under one roof. You know, we're not all that familiar with sheep and shepherding in West Texas. I realize that there are sheep here and that there are people who own sheep, but by and large, I think most of us that are tuning in this morning are probably not real familiar with sheep and shepherding, but where I come from, uh, from the Holy Land, which is Missouri, where I come from, there actually were a lot of sheep, and while the people who owned these sheep wouldn't necessarily refer to themselves as shepherds, uh, they still had a, a, a difficult time sometimes taking care of these sheep because they will tell you that sheep, uh, well, they're pretty dumb animals. You know, we talked about this last week, a real-life story a few years ago in Turkey where one sheep was trying to go from one cliff to another and he fell to his demise, and 1,500 other sheep just followed him off the cliff. Uh, 400 passed away and more would have, but the dead sheep cushioned the fall of the others. And the truth of the matter is sheep are just not really smart. Um, I've talked to people who have kept sheep, who have said that they are really good at some things, they are really good at being uh, defenseless. They're really good at being restless. They're really good at being antsy. They're good for wool and meat, but not on purpose. That's just how they were made. I've been told that no other class of livestock needs more careful handling and detailed direction than sheep. They need a guide. And without one, they will die. And so I ask you, are you offended yet? Because you know where this is going. You know the metaphor in the New Testament that we see over and over again of how we as people are referred to as sheep. Evidently, it's an apt metaphor that we are defenseless, vulnerable, selfish, and perhaps even at times dumb animals. We might be tempted to feel offended if it weren't so true. And the prophet Isaiah hit the nail on the head when he said, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Every sheep needs a shepherd. As much as we might like to think that we're self-sustaining, we're, we're really not. At least not in a spiritual sense. We starve, we thirst, we roam aimlessly, we're vulnerable. We walk right off the cliff without someone to guide us. So the metaphor of Jesus being the door and the good shepherd only works when we understand ourselves as sheep. You see, we often read John 10 and we devote ourselves to figuring out what Jesus meant by the door and we call to mind the shepherds of the first century and we consider how they took care of the flock and all of that is important. Truly, there's an understanding that we need to gain there, but however, there's more to this than what meets the eye. I'm sure you've memorized it from last week, but let's go ahead and look at it again. John chapter 10, starting in verse 1, it reads, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers." This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. 
So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So dumb directionless and defenseless. That's how we often view sheep. That's how we would describe them in a sermon like this. But maybe there's a better word that we could use. Maybe it, it's more palatable. Maybe it goes down better if we, if we talk about sheep, especially when compared to us, as helpless. Maybe that's a better term. We like sheep, maybe dumb, directionless, and defenseless, but a better way to maybe see ourselves is helpless. And we need a shepherd because we're helpless. Not just for protection, not just for direction, but also for affection. There's an old Jewish legend that tells of how God chose Moses to lead his people out of Israel. As the legend goes, Moses was out shepherding the flock of his father-in-law, and a young sheep wandered away from the flock. Moses went looking for it, and he found it in a hollow, drinking some water. And when Moses caught up to this wayward sheep, he spoke to it, and he said, I didn't realize that you were wanting water. I didn't know you were thirsty. You must be weary from the journey to come over and get water. And with that, Moses picked up that sheep, put it on his shoulders, and he walked back to the flock and placed it there. As the legend goes, God said to Moses, because you have shown pity in leading back one of the flock belonging to a man, you shall lead my people from Israel. A shepherd talking to his sheep may sound strange to us, but you have to understand that the relationship between sheep and shepherd in Palestine is, is really quite different than we often think of the relationship here in our world. You know, here in our world, we may raise sheep for their fleece or their wool, but, but typically we raise them maybe for their meat. And so we don't really grow, grow close to our sheep. But in Palestine, it was a little bit different. A shepherd really got close to his flock. He named every sheep in his flock usually. He treated them as if they were pets, as if they were a part of his family. This, there's an old English term for a sheep that has wandered off and that has fallen down. It's called a cast sheep. This happened quite often where a sheep would, would walk away from the flock and he would become cast down somewhere. He might find a hollow or a depression in the ground where he would lay down. And if he was uh, you know, a little bit heavier or had a lot more wool, he might uh, roll over to a point where his feet no longer touched the ground. And so therefore he couldn't get back up. And a cast sheep would flail around and, and yell and holler. And that made him vulnerable to predators. Coyotes, other animals would hear that cry and they knew that this was easy prey. 
And therefore, the shepherd was constantly scanning the flock to see if there was any sheep that were cast down. And if he saw one, then he went over to it immediately because he knew the urgency of the matter. And he would go over to the sheep and he would try to lift it and set it on his feet. But if it had been laying there for a while, uh, his, his legs had probably grown numb. And so he would rub the sheep's legs to restore circulation. He would try to set it up on his feet again. If it couldn't walk, then he would pick up the sheep and lay it across his shoulders and carry it back to the flock until he was able to move around again. That gives you an idea. That gives you a picture of the shepherd's relationship to his sheep. When it comes to shepherding, we see that Jesus is the good shepherd because not only does he guide and protect the flock, but he shows affection for the flock. He looks for that stray sheep. He sets us back on our feet. He even carries us at times when need be. To get an even fuller picture, we need to back up to John chapter 9. Just what we read right before John chapter 10, we see what happens before Jesus makes this claim of being the good shepherd. Look at what is, pro uh, what is prompting these words. You may remember that, that what precedes Jesus' sheep motif in John chapter 10 is Jesus healing a man that was blind. He, he spits on the ground and he makes mud with his saliva and the dirt and he rubs it on this man's eyes and he tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And the man does and comes back with 20-20 vision. And this whole episode causes quite a stir. The neighbors couldn't believe it and so they take him to the Jewish leaders who interrogate him and in John 9 15 through 17 it says so the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight and he said to them he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see some of the Pharisees said this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath but others said how can a man who is a sinner do such signs and there was a division among them so they said again to the blind man what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes he said he is a prophet now, the Jews didn't want to believe it. They wanted more information, so they gathered up the, the young man's parents, and they brought them in, and they basically said, don't ask us, we weren't there, ask, ask our son, he's the one that experienced it. And then notice, as they bring the young man in again a second time, he, he almost mocks them as he says these words. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become one of his disciples? Well, that set the Pharisees' hair on fire. That, that really, the final straw comes in verses 30 through 34, where it says, Why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us, and they cast him out. It's that last line that I want you to pay particular attention to. And they cast him out. The false shepherds wanted nothing to do with this man. The false shepherds didn't lead. They threatened, do this or we'll throw you out of the synagogue, which means he couldn't worship. They didn't care about the man's need, especially his spiritual need. Indeed, they were celebrating. Instead of celebrating him, they accosted him and tossed him aside. They couldn't care less that he had been healed. All they cared about were, 
or their religious rules? What if you were driving to worship when, it, when we're able to drive to worship again? What if, you're, what if you're driving to worship and the car in front of you veers off the road and, and, and flips several times, landing on its top? What would you do? Would you just drive on by because after all, you got to get to church, right? Do not forsake the assembly. Or would you stop and help? What if we have a, a doctor sitting in the assembly one Sunday morning and he gets an urgent phone call from the hospital saying, we need you immediately. You know, we've got a serious situation here. What if the doctor responded with, well, I'll be there as soon as worship's over. I mean, I, I've got to be here. I can't forsake the assembly. When there is a need, you meet the need. Always. Period. Exclamation point. When it comes to when it comes to meeting the need, when it comes to seeing someone who is in need and presented with that opportunity, relationship comes first, right? By meeting their need, Jesus was doing two things. He was exposing how utterly ridiculous and uncaring the Pharisees were, and he was also showing the people what a good shepherd looks like. So do you see what's happening here? Jesus is bringing the sheep out of danger and into a place of rest. I don't know if you've ever noticed that in this passage, but there are two folds. One of them, Jesus is leading them out of, and the other one, he's leading them into. He's bringing them out of one fold, away from the Pharisees, away from danger, away from the stranger, away from the thief, and away from the people who care nothing about them. And he's bringing them into his fold, where there are greener pastures. And here's the big difference between the false shepherds and the good shepherd. The good shepherd actually loves his sheep. He actually cares about his sheep. He wants a relationship with him. And that's the part of this that I think we often miss. Yes, the good shepherd leads the sheep. Yes, he provides for them. Yes, he is their guide. He keeps them safe and secure. But here's the most important part. Verse 2, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verses 14 and 15 says, I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. We all have black sheep in our family, don't we? If you have trouble identifying who the black sheep is in your family, it, it may be you. But years ago, black sheep were not valued. Not at all. Black sheep or black wool was considered commercially worthless because it could not be dyed. In fact, it was said that, that there was to be no thread of black wool at all in what was given. In Jesus' day, black sheep were considered a liability to the shepherd and, and the black sheep had to be removed. So to prevent interbreeding and any more black sheep being among the flock. In other words, black sheep were the undesirables. They weren't welcome in the flock. That is until Jesus showed up on the scene. He ate with the black sheep. He went to their house. He hung out with them. He invited them into the fold. He wanted a relationship with them. He loved them. And not only that, he was one of them. If it seems offensive to be referred to as a sheep because they're dumb, directionless animals, just remember, Jesus refers to himself as a shepherd. And as I mentioned last week, shepherds were not well thought of in this day and time. The Jewish leaders didn't have any use for them because they saw them as dirty individuals who refused to observe their cleansing rituals. So Jesus, identifying as the shepherd, only fanned the flame of anger that was burning in the religious elite. 
Not only that, he refers to himself as the good shepherd. Well, in their minds, there was no such thing. That was an oxymoron. That was two terms put together that contradict one another. There was no such thing as a good shepherd. Such a person didn't exist. But Jesus identified more with the black sheep than he did with the religious leaders. It was the cast sheep, the wayward sheep, the defenseless sheep that he came to rescue. To be their shepherd meant that he was among them, that he was in fact one of them. He was as dirty as they were. He was just as undesirable, or at least that's what the false shepherds thought. But here's a couple of things that kind of make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. First of all, when it says he calls his own sheep by name. He knows my name. In a world where I'm nothing more than a social security number or a pin number, Jesus knows my name. He knows everything about me. I am more than just a member of the flock. I am rescued. I am healed. I belong. I am his. I think I told you before that my last year of high school and all the way through college, I worked at Lynn Green's Big Star, which was a chain of grocery stores in the Paragould area. Lynn Green, who owned the stores, was a rather old gentleman who wore a suit and a fedora. And once a year, he would come into the grocery store where I worked, and he would just kind of say thank you and walk around and greet people. One year, I saw him walking down the aisle that I was working on, and I immediately walked over to him And I stuck out my hand and I said, hello, Mr. Green. And he said, hello, Chris. And I thought, wait a minute, you know my name? How do you know my name? I mean, I met you last year, but surely you didn't remember me from last year. But that that made an impact on me. It, It means something when someone of stature knows who you are, knows your name at least. Jesus not only knows your name, he knows everything about you. He is not some aloof king who's sitting on a throne somewhere who is distant. He is a loving father who wants a relationship with you. In Psalm 23, David writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's the good shepherd, but he's my shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep, but he lays down his life for me. He's my door. He's my protector. He's my provider. He's my savior. There's no reference to we or us or they here in Psalm 23. It is only my and me and I and you. It was personal with David. And it should be personal with us. But here's something else that we need to consider. We can't get lost in all the honey and syrup. We, we look at Psalm 23 and we read statements like, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. My cup overflows. And all of that is true, no doubt. But the good shepherd also said this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake find it and we love to follow the shepherd when he promises to lead us by still waters and in paths of righteousness psalm 23 is an invitation that seems quite pleasant but we must recognize that following the good shepherd isn't always easy and sometimes it leads through difficult terrain sometimes there are trials sometimes the path goes through the valley of the shadow of death Some of you that are sitting and watching this morning, you've had your time with God in green pastures, but you've also had your time going through the valley of the shadow of death. And maybe you're in the valley of the shadow of death right now. Maybe you have a spouse who's dealing with a debilitating disease. 
And while they're going through the valley of the shadow of death, you're going through it with them. You're in the shadow of it for sure. Maybe the doctor has said to you, I'm sorry, there's, there's nothing more we can do. Perhaps you've heard the words, he's gone or she's gone. Why would a good shepherd be willing to lay down his life for the sheep and then lead you through the valley of the shadow of death? What kind of shepherd does that? Why would he do that? Well, perhaps because there are greener pastures on the other side. You ever notice that in Psalm 23, David shifts from talking about God as he to referring to God as you? You ever notice that? Look at Psalm 23 with me real fast. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's really verses 4 and 5 I want you to notice. David switches from he to you. And have you ever wondered why he does that? Why doesn't he just say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for he is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. I think it's because David is speaking from personal experience. I think he's talking about the crisis moments in his own life. And what David is writing about is not poetic exaggeration. This is not theoretic theology. He has experienced God. He has heard the Lord's voice. He has followed his lead. He has felt his care. And beneath the beauty of these words is a solid conviction formed in the crucible of crisis. We all know how it is. You talk about God when you're grazing in green pastures, but you talk to God when you're in the dark valley. On the mountaintop, we're prone to wandering off and, and pursuing greener grass, but in the valley, we cling to his leg. We hug his leg and we hold tight as we're walking through that deep, dark valley. And here's the thing about these troublesome times. Valleys don't last. Notice it says, Though I walk through the valley of shadow of death. Doesn't say he resides there. Doesn't say he lives there. And secondly, the good shepherd gives us every reason to face those valleys without fear. Further down in John 10, Jesus says this about his sheep. He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. So in a world full of thieves and robbers, our Lord promises to keep us safe, even against the most formidable thief and robber, which is death. You remember these things? These are called magic eye puzzles. You may remember these. These were popular many years ago. The idea is you're supposed to stare at these things and let your eyes relax. Or maybe you're supposed to stare intently. I don't know because I can never see what's in there. But apparently there's an image in these things. I can never see them because I'm colorblind. But there's supposed to be an image. This one's a spaceship. And once you see it, it's like you can't not see it. Once you see it once, it's like you see it every time. But the idea is you kind of let your eyes just relax and you blur out and you see the image that's in this convoluted mess of colors. And the only reason I bring this up is because I think in our daily walk with God, as sheep following the good shepherd, we need to, we need to do this. We need, to, we need to focus so intently 
that everything around Jesus just blurs out. All the mess, all the troubles and the trials and the tribulations, everything around him kind of fades into the background. And what pops, what sticks out most is our Savior. What happens all too often is our Savior fades into the background and we don't get to see the Good Shepherd and focus in like we should. All we see is the problems and the mess. Whether it be worries or stresses or doubts or fears or failings, these are the things that capture our attention and steal our focus. We need to see Jesus in the blurry mess of our lives. We need to focus so intently on the Shepherd that He's the only thing that comes into view and everything else gets blurred and I think what you'll notice is that he shows up in everything in the stresses and the worries and the problems he is there in the forefront and you begin to see his face in everything let's pray our most kind and gracious heavenly father we thank you for another day we thank you for being the good shepherd and oh how that is important during this time in in our in our lives when there's a global pandemic going on, when we don't get to be together under one roof, when we're dealing with different difficulties in our lives, whether they be physical or financial, help us through the mess. Help us to focus on you. Help us as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, whatever that looks like for us individually, help us to keep our eyes fixated on you, to blur out everything else and just follow on your heels. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.